I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. We have to remember the census first job is to keep us alive. So when a child jumps back from grandma's open arms the way you and I might jump back from a burning tree that lands at our feet, that alarm, that self-protection of the child is his way of saying, I don't get it. I don't get this. what this potential hug and kiss are going to do to me. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today I'm super excited to be bringing to the show Carol Kranowitz, the author of many books on sensory processing disorder, including The Out of Sync Child and The Out of Sync Child Has Fun, as well as Carol's most recent book, The Out of Sync Child Grows Up. A former preschool teacher, Carol's also a speaker and is passionate about informing people about sensory processing disorder and helping parents and educators understand how to recognize and support kids with sensory issues. I will admit to being a bit of a fan geek. Carol's book, The Out of Sing Child, was one of the first books I read when Asher was about four years old, where I finally had that sense of, yes, this is what's going on. So it was a thrill and honor to get to chat with Carol about what sensory processing is, how to recognize it in kids, what it looks like at different ages, and to hear Carol's thoughts on efforts to get SPD fully recognized as a disorder. I posted on the Tilt Facebook page that I'd be interviewing Carol, and based on the response from that post and the great questions so many of you shared with me, I know that for many of you, this is an interview you're very excited about. So I hope you get a lot out of our conversation. And before I get to the episode, did you know that some of the production costs for the podcast are being offset by generous donations from listeners like you? My goal is to eventually outsource all the post-production for the show. If you'd like to help us reach our goal, please consider supporting us through our Patreon campaign. 
Patreon is a simple membership platform that allows listeners like you to make a small monthly contribution to fund our efforts. If you want to help us, visit patreon.com slash tiltedparenting. And now I'll get on with the show. Hi, Carol. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Debbie. Glad to be here. Well, this is one of those episodes that I am just so excited about. And I also know that my listeners are really excited about having you on the show. And before we even get started, I wanted to just share with you, you know, I have a 13-year-old differently wired son, and sensory processing disorder was the first thing, kind of the first answer, maybe, uh, that we found along the way in our journey when he was four, someone mentioned out of sync child to me. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, that's it. (laughs) And I remember calling my husband and being like, I figured it out. I know what's going on, you know, (laughs) so exciting when that happened. (laughs) Yeah, it it was I, I felt like it did connect the dots for, you know, so many things. And of course, now we have more information. My child also has ADHD. He also has autism. And he's gifted and he's a complicated person, but the sensory processing piece is a big part of it, as I know it is for many of our listeners. So we have a lot to talk about. So I would love to just start by hearing from you. You've written kind of the Bible for sensory processing disorder. Could you explain to us what exactly it is? How do you define it? Yes, I will. I will. And it's interesting when I hear myself described as someone who's written a Bible because <laughs> I, I, I'm really a modest person and I feel like I'm a I'm a interpreter uh, of the great work of people like Jean Ayers, the OT who developed the whole theory of sensory processing, and all the OTs since then who've who've been her disciples and carried on her work and explored it. Um, so I. I'm not the prophet myself. I'm just the I'm just the scribe, and uh, I want people to to know that. All right. So SPD. Here's a definition that I think works. This is the difficulty in how the nervous system takes in sensory information from our bodies and the environment around us, and organizes this information for our daily use. The person who has SPD has difficulty interpreting and managing ordinary sensations, such as how things feel on her skin, how gravity affects her balance and movement, where her body parts are and what they're doing. So SPD affects the biggies, touching and being touched, moving and being moved. That is such a succinct definition. And I also know that and I, and I would love to hear more from you about this, that like many other ways of being differently wired, there is no one way that this looks, right? It Can it be right. a combination of different things? Right, right. Children and adults tend toward a, a specialty. For instance, they might be particularly sensitive to touch sensations. So, so the person might be that way from childhood all through life. But there will be days when the kid, everything's going well. The kid got a lot of rest. He's had a lot of time to play outside. He did not have chocolate and eggs and cigarettes for breakfast. Uh, he had, a, you know, he had food that was good for his system. Um, 
there might be a lot of things going well, and that child might have a perfectly fine day. And that, so the, so for instance, if a person has, starts out with tactile sensitivity a lot of the time, some days it might not manifest itself, which, which confuses parents and teachers and others. Well, you know, Billy did this finger painting fine on Tuesday. I don't know what the problem is on Friday. Hmm. So um, it takes a lot of explaining and a lot of detective work to figure out what the circumstances are leading up to a, a person's discomfort in the sensory world. So that's so interesting to me. And as you were talking, I it's it's been a while since I read that book with Asher in mind. But I remember this idea of sensory seeking and, you know, so kids who need a lot of sensory information and and kids who are overwhelmed by too much information. Right. Are those kind of the two main buckets or? Yeah. Yeah. Those are the yeah two main buckets. Um, the over responsive person is the one we'll see the most. And the, that over responsivity is called a sensory modulation difficulty. So, um, well, sensory modulation problems can be over responsivity, under responsivity or craving. And I can talk about those for a second. If Yeah, that would be awesome. Okay. So sensory modulation problems are the most common kind of SPD difficulties. Over-responsivity is where the nervous system says, whoa, whatever that is, it is way too much. You are flooding me. You're crashing in over my threshold. I can't bear the touch of it, the smell of it, the look of it. Let me live under the table or with the covers over my head and never let me make me get out of bed. So we all feel that sometimes, but for some people, everything crashes in on them. And and how they get through the day is um, they have many ways of trying to manage, but mostly they will pull back. They will be the, what I call the avoider. Uh, Don't touch me. Don't assault me with that guitar don't show me the pretty picture i just don't want any part of it then there is the under responder uh, i call this person the uh, disregarder you might need dynamite to get this this kid to understand what's going on around him so the teacher's calling all right children it's time to come in now from recess and he is standing there under the tree in, in a, a kind of a self-absorbed way, not noticing what's going on around him. And so the teacher gets mad. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the disregarder is the child who doesn't, un, doesn't is not aware of uh, perhaps an injury like a scrape or a mosquito bite or even a broken collarbone. This child might not. Uh, notice uh, that he has crumbs all over his face or what <laughs> a co-teacher of mine called the green 11s, <laughs> which is snot pouring out of the child. <laughs> That's a great image. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean, the kid wouldn't just wouldn't notice it, wouldn't notice uh, or that he has to go to the bathroom or that he has gone to the bathroom in his pants. He just doesn't notice that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um that child is the one where he might be Einstein on the inside, but our job as observant, caring adults is to 
kind of bring him to the table and coax him to get started. And once started, he might flourish, but getting started is hard for Mm. the under-responder. Another modulation problem is craving. And this is the child who is certainly aware of sensations, is not bothered by sensations, and indeed has to have them. He's everywhere. He is bumping and crashing. He's climbing. He's tipping things over. He's swirling and spinning. He's stuffing his mouth with popcorn. He's pouring the juice way past the full point. It's all so interesting. And what happens when you dump the contents of the pitcher into the cup and over the table? And (laughs) more, more, more. This This child is insatiable. And in fact, there's anecdotal evidence that the child who is the sensory craver grows up to be the addict. Uh, and uh, th- 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 there's a lot of interest in in looking back at addicts' childhoods to see what, what kind of kid they were. Um, never, there's never, a, never enough. You always, you always want more. So th- that's, those are modulation problems. There are also discrimination problems. So the person with sensory discrimination woes might not have a modulation problem. So sensations are fine. The person gets them, likes them, handles them. It's fine. But gets confused by them. So the the poor discriminator might have difficulty discriminating between and among sensations. So does the button go in this buttonhole or not? So, so does what he feel and does what he see come together? Hmm. Um, uh, getting dressed is a big problem for the person with discrimination issues. Um, most of us would be able to get dressed in a dark closet if our clothes are right there for us. You know, you feel it, you figure out what a shirt is or what pants are. Not the person with discrimination problems. He might need a mirror to get dressed because he just can't make sense of it. He might not chew his food sufficiently. He can't discriminate in his mouth whether that hamburger has been chewed enough, so he might swallow it before it's ready. Um, Eating is a big issue because after you've swallowed a bite that's too unchewed a few times, you're going to not want to eat it anymore. Yeah. So, so children will just uh, uh, refuse to eat a lot of foods that that they can't discriminate in their mouths. Um, you'll get kids who can only discriminate things that are hard and crunchy. So we see kids who are on the crunchy diet: carrots, pretzels, bacon, crispy bacon, no applesauce, no yogurt, because they can't discriminate. Or we have kids who only eat the mushy foods. They're on the mushy. Yeah. They can't discriminate what a big chunk of peanut is in the crunchy peanut butter. They can't figure it out. And so if you can't figure it out, you're, you gag. I, you know, I, I, uh, Debbie, I grew up in New England and ate oysters and raw clams regularly. My family loved that kind of food. But I understand what it would be like if your first oyster comes to you when you're 32 years old. Are you going to eat it? No. <laughs> no, what? It's just... So, 
So, you know, think of these kids as having this kind of gag reflex right away with something that's strange or unusual. All right, I can, you got me started. You, <laughs> but I'll just say one more thing about um, a third type of sensory processing. We've got modulation, we've got discrimination. And then a third type, big type is sensory-based motor problems. And this is when tactile problems uh, that, that have to do with our touching things and being touched, vestibular problems that have to do with our moving and being moved, and proprioceptive problems, which have to do with our body parts, our muscles, and our joints, when those all conspire to confuse a person's nervous system, then the result is um, the, the, uh, the sensory-based motor difficulties. So going through an obstacle course, a thing kids do all the time, is awesome and awesomely difficult tactily, vestibularly, proprioceptively. The child just can't get his body to cooperate. Mm. Getting dressed again is difficult. Doing a new recipe, uh, putting on a seatbelt in a car that you haven't been in before. Anything that requires some thinking and has some uh, complicated sequential steps is going to do, do these people in. And that's it in a nutshell. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, 
monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. It's so fascinating. I'm really, I'm really wrapped by everything you're saying. And it's just bringing me back to I didn't know anything was going on with Asher at that level. What I was just seeing was frustration and intensity Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of thing. And then when I took him to an OT in Seattle, Washington, there's a great OT there who is kind of known in the region for her work with kids. Yeah, Rosemary White. uh Yeah, absolutely. And so suddenly, I discovered things I had no idea that Asher even had tactile defensiveness. I remember one day our therapist spread out, you know, a bunch of shaving cream on the floor on a rubber mat. And she just said to me, this is going to be interesting. And I and I thought, why? What? And it, it could have been kryptonite. Asher was like, not going to touch that <laughs> stuff. And, you know, I just kind of discovered all these little pieces, his proprioception and challenges and the way spinning kind of organized his mind, his brain. And there were just all these pieces of information that I got, I would have had no idea, because it was just showing up as this dysregulated kid a lot of the time. So one of the things that I know listeners are going to want to know, and that I think loops into this bigger question of sensory processing disorder, not always being recognized as a legitimate or a real disorder or difference that a lot of kids are struggling with, a lot of people are struggling with, how are parents to know when it's kind of typical, and I'm using air quotes, typical, you know, being a little defiant or being a little sensitive versus that there is something more significant yeah. going on that they would want to explore? That's a, that's a really great question. I think the biggies are the child's unusual responses to touching things and being touched and to moving his own little body and to being moved when he's not expecting it. So touch and movement are so critical to our human, our humanness. We have to touch. We have to move. We must. We're born to touch and move. That's how we exist. You know, so when that when these things are causing children to have unusual responses, let's put on sensory goggles and look at kids through these sensory lenses and ask ourselves, is this child trying to defend himself and protect himself? And that we have to remember the senses first job is to keep us alive. So when a child jumps back from grandma's open arms the way you and I might jump back from a burning tree that lands at our feet, 
that alarm, that self-protection of the child is his way of saying, I don't get it. I don't get this, what this potential hug and kiss are going to do to me. So let's think the senses are helping us survive. When we feel safe, then we can use our senses to learn. So there's a defensive mode that we all have. And then we put down our defenses. Okay, we're safe. Grandma's not going to kill me. Grandma's going to tell me a story. And then we, when we relax, we can hear the story. We can hear the teacher. We can understand what's going on around us. We're using our senses for discrimination of what's going on around us. We also use our senses for um, satisfaction and for doing stuff that makes us feel good. And then when, when we're tired of doing that, like eating popcorn or jumping rope or swinging, when we've had what our nervous system wants, we stop it. We go on and do other things. But we'll see in kids with SPD, they don't start. They don't stop. They avoid what is enjoyable or neutral to to other kids and they seek out behavior or certain things that some people might consider bizarre children with autism for instance uh, and everyone with autism has SPD by the way not everyone with not everyone with SPD has autism but everyone with autism has SPD a child with autism might spin for a long time and I think you referred to Asher doing that um, mm-hmm. twirling a lot. That is organizing his vestibular system. The typical child will spin around for fun because it's fun to get dizzy and it's fun to fall down. And then he's had it. Then he goes and he does something else. But maybe not a child like Asher who does it and does it and does it until it gets to that satisfaction point in his, mm. in his brain. Um, I might be digressing. You asked, what can we look at? What are ways that SPD shows up? So uh, to keep it short, I went to this wonderful website that I want our listeners to write down. It's www.spdstar.org. And uh, there's a list there that shows you uh, things that sh- classically show up. So it breaks it down into uh, age ranges. Infants and toddlers, uh, you'll see problems eating or sleeping. Refusal to go to anyone but mommy. Irritability when dress, being dressed. Discomfort in clothes. Disinterest in toys. Arching away when held. A resistance to cuddling. And this is, this is one of the first things that we'll see in infants. Because, of course, you want to cuddle your baby. Mm-hmm. And it affects bonding very much when the mom, mommy's all there. all mo- She's 100% mommy, and the baby is 0% baby. And it's just, it's just saying, I don't want you. Terribly difficult. An infant and toddler with SPD will not be able to calm himself. And he may have a floppy body or a stiff body or motor delays. So this is baby is really late in rolling over, sitting up, pulling himself to a stand, um, crawling. Preschoolers 
look at things that we we might be able to see in preschoolers with our sensory goggles on. Oversensitivity to um, touch, noise, smells, other people. Difficulty making friends. And that's huge, huge, mm-hmm. because preschool is, uh, the main thing for preschoolers is to make friends. Uh, the preschooler might have difficulty with sleeping, eating, toileting, long tantrums, uh, very clumsy, constantly in motion. Grade schoolers, uh, they might have this oversensitivity to the world, difficulty making friends. They might be very distractible. They might have the fidgets. They might be aggressive. And that aggression, uh, by the way, is, again, self-protective. Mm-hmm. A little boy said to me, I am a tiger going roar, roar, roar and having my claws out in front of my face all the time in other people's faces so I can be ready to get them before they can get me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Grade schoolers with SPD are easily overwhelmed and then the tasks with handwriting and workbooks and motor activities, just getting from one classroom to another, for instance, or uh, PE classes, that kind of thing is going to be very difficult for them. And then adults and adolescents, again, they might be oversensitive to the world. They might have poor self-esteem, fear of failing, new tasks, lethargy. They might be impulsive and distractible and always on the go. So some might be lethargic, some might be always on the go. The same person might be lethargic one day and always on the go the next day. And the adult um, might seem unmotivated, joyless, no joie de vivre, and not be able to explain it either. So, you know, SPD is not well known. So people can't defend themselves and explain mm-hmm. themselves. Um, one final thing here. The, one of the first clues is to think, Is my kid a too much kid? A kid might, it might seem like the world is too much with him, uh, to paraphrase William Wordsworth. Um, so the, so responses to the world are as if the world is too much with me. Or the kid is too much for the world. (laughs) The flip side. Mm -hmm. This child is finger painting his whole body and the table and the cute little girl sitting next to him <laughs> or yelling or making noise because there is not enough noise in his world. So he has to make more noise. So is your child the too much kid? Another way to look at him. That is such a fascinating overview. Thank you for walking us through that. It's really so helpful. And listeners, I'll make sure that the link is on the show notes page. So if you didn't get a chance to write that down, the spdstar.org, I will include links to that and to Carol's book, which, by the way, has been translated, did you say 11 languages? So far, yes. So uh-huh. far, including for my Dutch listeners, it's called Out de Pas and uh, Met Plaisir Out de Pas. Uh, that's the Out of Sing Child and the Out of Sing Child has fun. Right. So anyway, I will include links to all of this. Um, but one of the things that you touched upon that is a question I got from a lot of our members of the TILT community, and I, 
I, I told you when we spoke earlier this week, I posted on the Facebook page that I was having you on and everyone was like, ask her this, ask her oh. that. So, but one of the, the questions I got the most is how to differentiate between autism, ADHD, and sensory processing disorder. And even you just saying that all kids with autism have sensory processing disorder. I don't know that I knew that. I did, I thought they might have been separate things. So can you talk a little bit about the overlap of, of those diagnoses? Yeah. And, and is it important to separate them out or just your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, with uh, the caveat that our, our listeners understand, I'm not a therapist myself. I am mm. a, a preschool teacher by, by training. So I don't at all have the last word on it. But um, I hang around with people who do have the last word. <laughs> uh, so uh, SPD is a discrete neurological problem. And there is some very exciting research going on now at the University of California in San Francisco by Elisa Marco, M-A-R-C-O. And Dr. Marco uh, uses measurements called diffusion tensor imaging, DTI, to look into the brain. And what she sees is that children or anyone with SPD has differences in the white matter in the brain. And it's so, what's so exciting is that nobody can be a naysayer anymore that SPD is some made up thing or, you know, a yuppie affliction. Uh, because here it is, there's, re- there's, there's evidence now that different parts of the brain light up or don't light up um, in people who have SPD and when they're challenged with uh, sensory activities. So you might look into Elisa Marco's work. Um, so uh, what, what we need everyone to know is SPD is unique and discreet. You can't jolly a person out of it. People with autism have it. And I've talked to Temple Grandin, and I asked her this specifically because there are different takes on it. Some people say, oh, a lot of people with autism have SPD. But Temple says, absolutely, everyone has it. And uh, in fact, she says uh, oversensitivity is the biggest issue among people with autism. They're always trying to... to uh, filter out sensations that bother them. She said it's uh, auditory problems are particularly hard for people with autism. She said it's like living your life with your head inside an amplifier. Um, or clothes burn and scratch and seams are terrible and anything that isn't cotton or, you know, the, or silk might really, really bother, bother people. Okay. But again, I diverge. <laughs> um, the the discussion is SPD and other neurodifferences. Um, so there's a great deal of interest in it, and people are studying it. Lucy Jane Miller, um, who has been the primary investigator in SPD for many years, and Lucy is one of Dr. Jean Eyre's disciples, in fact. Uh, Lucy and another therapist, Roryanne Ahn, um, looked at kids who were, who were taking a, an assessment test called the lighter R. And they found, Lucy and Royanne found that in this sample, and it was a good number, 32% of the children had 
ADHD only, 28% had SPD only, and 40% had ADHD and SPD. So they were finding that children who took this particular assessment test, 40% of them had both ADHD and SPD. So that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one, one study that I have in front of me that I'm, that I'm discussing. There are many others that talk about the overlap. We'll be right back after this quick break. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. So... Just wondering how then do you support these kids? It seems like, you know, medication is is a big issue for kids with ADHD. That is a solution for many families. And it seems to me that you would want to know if these symptoms are are not ADHD related, but are in fact related to sensory processing disorder. Is there is there a problem with in your opinion, in medicating kids who are displaying those inattentiveness symptoms or other things that might be confused with ADHD when in reality they're sensory-related only? Debbie, you're absolutely right. that It's definitely an issue because children with SBD look like they have ADHD, and it and I call it a look-alike. I've written a little article about it, which people can find on my website, which is outofsyncchild.com. No, oh. Well, yes, you can get to it that way, but 
try carolstockkranowitz.com. That's my whole name, carolstockkranowitz.com. And you'll write that down, right? I, absolutely. Okay. You're covered. Right. Okay. So children ha- have SPD. Yes, they may also have ADHD, but often they don't. Um, the study I just referred to showed that 28% of the kids in this sample had SPD only. And, okay, S- SPD looks like ADHD. The child is, for instance, fidgeting all day long. Well, he's fidgeting. That That's a red flag for ADHD. Um, this child is inattentive. Red flag for ADHD. But wait, let's put on those sensory goggles and let's look. Why is that child fidgeting? He hasn't had any recess today. This is a child more than other children who needs a great deal of movement. He has a high movement quota. And look at what schools are doing to our kids, uh, especially in America. I don't know if this is true all over the world, but in America, kids get 15 minutes a day after they've wolfed down their PB and J. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and um, that's not enough. Children are supposed to supposed to be moving. So you're fidgeting if in your seat because you haven't moved, or you're fidgeting because the fluorescent lights are flickering and you can't stand it, or the kid sitting next to you at the table is has a scratchy pencil and the sound of the pencil is really bothering you. There can be any number of sensory um, assaults coming into a child. So he's not getting the sensory input he needs, which is movement, and he's getting sensory input that he can't interpret or use, and you can see why the child is fidgety and inattentive. Listeners might know that doctors often go by this adage, when you hear hoofbeats, look for horses, not zebras. SPD happens to be a zebra, and mm. and we need doctors and teachers and, of course, parents to look at the kid's behavior and say, wait a minute, this really isn't ADHD. This is something else. And I just want to tell you one little anecdote. A friend of mine had heard me talk about my favorite topic, and she said, you know, I'm just wondering if this applies to my 10-year-old son. He has just been diagnosed with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and the doctor wants to put him on um, some heavy medicine that has not been tested well on children. And she said, I, I, I didn't want to do it. And he, Carol, tell me what you think of this. Well, this is the what the doctor was basing the diagnosis on. Um, every morning before going to school, the child would run around the dining room table many times clockwise and then many times counterclockwise. Then he'd go to the front door and he would press really hard with his hands and then he'd press his shoulders and hips and thighs against the door jams equally. And during the course of the day, he washed his hands many times. OCD, right? Mm -hmm. Wrong, wrong. (laughs) Um, He had a little tactile over-responsivity or tactile defensiveness, and things bothered the skin on his hands, and he didn't like it, so he'd wash his hands. But it was not ritualistic. He didn't have any of that ritualistic thing like, if I don't wash my hands, something bad will happen. Um, He ran around the table to rev up his vestibular system. He pressed his body parts into the door jam 
for to get proprioception that he needed to wake up his body parts. He was an SPD kid, a little overloaded tactilely, a little underloaded vestibularly and proprioceptively. That was what he was doing. He had figured out some self therapy. He was cool. <laughs> but but you know the parent was a little worried because it was a little bizarre to run around the dining table and mm-hmm. okay so let's not rush to diagnose let's put those goggles on and look for the sensory issues it's such helpful information and I have one last question related to that. Actually, I have so many questions, but what what I'm realizing I'd like to do is because a lot of listeners had very specific questions about, you know, how to address this or that behavior. I I am actually on my to-do list is to reach out to Rosemary White, the OT we talked about and bring her on the show. So I'm going to save those more practical strategy questions for her. But the one question I would like to ask you before we say goodbye. This is a comment I got on the Facebook page. Someone was saying, you know, like me, that The Out of Sync Child was the book that finally confirmed what I knew about my kid for so long. After seven years of asking the pediatrician all the why questions and getting the answer, he'll grow out of it. They finally got occupational therapy and she just wishes she'd read it earlier. And her question and what a lot of us want to know is just in your opinion, what is it going to take to get sensory processing disorder to be recognized as a valid disorder by health professionals to have it be more accepted in schools? We have so much education to do around this, it seems. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I think we just have to keep talking and we have to keep explaining. And in fact, I just um, saw that at spdstar.org, there's a course being offered on it's called Helping People Accept That Your Child Has SPD. And this is a course by Roy Ann on uh, someone that, who does research with Lucy Miller. And this uh, Helping People Accept That Your Child Has SPD will help parents understand what to say, especially when the listener is resistant and when to walk away. And the point, one of the points is we need to look at our kids with our sympathetic goggles on to ask ourselves, what is this child trying to get away from that's too much? What is this child trying to get that he's not being, his nervous system is being deprived of? And that's usually movement and activity. Mm -hmm. And then when we can't handle it at home, how to go get the best therapy? And the best therapy is occupational therapy using a sensory integration approach. And uh, that that is the best thing. And the younger the child, the better. But even adults can be helped with OT using SI, an SI approach. It's never too late. And all, all I can hope for is I, I'm talking and writing as much as I can. And, and you are, Debbie, you're doing this fabulous job of bringing this to, to your listeners. And we all need to be... Um, I guess apostles in a way and go out and talk up this gospel and get, get people to see it's not scary. SBD is not scary when you are informed about it. Medicine isn't going to help it. Medicine, if you have ADHD, medicine might help the ADHD part of you, but there's no medicine yet for 
SPD. What kids really need is focused activity, physical activity to get their nervous system touching and moving in more ordinary ways. Yeah. And I will say, you know, Asher started going to OT when he was four and he went for four years and there are very little traces of the sensory processing challenges that he had you know, in terms of what he would wear or a lot of tactile defensiveness he had, his proprioception, his body awareness, it's so much better. Oh, so I, I I know that that really can work, especially when your their brains are so malleable, I guess, as they're building those neurons. Yes. And, and I love what you said. And it's a nice way to kind of end the conversation. You know, just this idea that looking at our kids and trying to figure out what what are they trying to tell us? I love that idea. It's something I talk about a lot, that everything is information. Our kids' behavior, there's always a reason for it. And I think so many of yeah. us are quick to to blame something or to think that it is, you know, just a willful child or something else going on. So just remembering to be curious about what might yes. really be going on here is a great reminder. Yes. Let's be detectives. Let's be curious. We can make it so much better for our kids and for the world. <laughs> yeah. So I really appreciate this opportunity so much to talk to your listeners. And I hope they go, they can get more information from my website, read some of the articles I've written and go to spdstar.org. And I am also available if people want to email me. I don't, I'm not too key, not too good with Facebook yet, but, um, <laughs> but I answer all my emails. So they might want to try, try that. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing. This has been just a fantastic conversation and so helpful for our listeners and very generous. I'm just really grateful that you, you did this for us today. So thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure, Debbie. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to Carol's website, her books, and the rest of the resources she mentioned in our conversation, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 76. And a quick invitation to try our free Differently Wired 7-Day Challenge. When you sign up, I'll email you a short inspirational video every day for one week with the tip you can incorporate into your life right away to shift your experience. You'll also be invited to join a private Facebook group for people who've gone through or are currently doing the challenge. More than 700 people have already gone through the challenge. It's free, it's ongoing, and it's designed to help you find more peace and confidence in your parenting journey today. To join, visit tillparenting.com slash seven day. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please consider subscribing or leaving us a review in iTunes. Both things help our podcast get noticed in the crowded podcast space. Thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You 
get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.